All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege of gathering together as family. Thank you for truth that sets us free, Father. Thank you for continued peace and contentment, regardless of the white noise around us, regardless of the lies that are designed to entrap us and snare us and enslave us all over again, Father. Thank you for giving us the word that sets us free against those things. Thank you for ministry like this that's faithful to your word that really is a beacon on a hill, Father. Thank you for your divine providence in keeping this ministry afloat um, with spiritual gifts and finances and what have you, Father. What a blessing it is to partake in it. Father, thank you uh, most of all for your son's work on the cross to make a morning like this a reality, something for us to behold, never become familiar with, Father, but rejoice in. We just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the deceitfulness of sin, part nine, absolutely love, love, love this series. Uh, It's such an eye-opening series for all of us. Um, Let's start and let's go back to where we seem to, anytime there's a a major um, position that Spirit wants to take on something, He always, you notice, He always takes us back to the garden. Every single time there's something major on the table, we always go back to the garden. After the fall in the garden, the following conversation occurred. Go to Genesis 3, verse 9. Genesis 3, 9. After the fall, so we're not going to cover that, but the, this conversation occurred between the holy God of the universe and the first man. Genesis 3, verse 9. We can learn so very much from Genesis uh, 3. Genesis 3, 9. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? You already know that God knows where he's at, so you know that that question is there for the sake of the man, not God. It's sort of like one of those things, if I was to say, Hey, where's your head? Where are you right now? I know where you're at. You're sitting in front of me. The point is, do you know where you're at? Do you know where your head is at right now? What's going on, Adam? Where are you? So we have to think that way. We have to think from his perspective and how he treats us and how he treats, has treated us from day one. Verse 9, Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. I challenge each of you this afternoon to ponder this short exchange. Honestly, go home, think about it, talk to your loved ones about it. It's hard to wrap our arms around all that is revealed here, but I'm going to borrow from um, my buddy Pink here, from the 
Total Depravity of Man, that book that I told you I've been reading. The Total Depravity of Man regarding Genesis 3.10. If the words of Adam in Genesis 3.10 are carefully pondered, a solemn and fatal omission from them will be observed. He said nothing about his sin, but mentioned only the painful effects which it had produced. As another has said, this was the language of impenitent misery. Again, the words of Adam in that moment, where are you? Nothing about sin. If so, if this verse, a single exchange is carefully pondered, a solemn and fatal omission from them will be observed. He said nothing about his sin, but mentioned only the painful effects which it had produced. As another has said, this was the language of impenitent misery. So the question out of the gate this morning is, do you see the very nature of sin already present in the soul of our forefather, Adam? You should. Sin befell him, and he didn't want to talk about it. Do you see? Already sin, the nature of a sin, had become elusive. Do you understand how it happened? That's the nature of sin. It befalls us and then it slips out of the limelight. It's insidious. It would rather be cancerous. Just get us to keep doing things but stay out of the limelight doesn't want to get blamed because if we turn the spotlights on sin, we might do something about it. We might identify it. We might have a place to start with. But if it can get out of the way, hide behind a few things, you know what I'm saying? Hide, mask itself with, with the details of life or, or holiday seasons or the pain it produces in our lives so that we just murmur about pain itself and suffering. I always get a kick out of that. Oh, it's just my cross to bear. No, I think the problem is that your sin that has befallen you has been tucked away. And all you want to do is look at the pain. You don't want to look at the root cause. That's the deceitfulness of sin. See, it hides itself. Can you see cancer? Not unless it's on the outside, but if you have cancer on the inside, can you see it? No. You just see the effects of it. It's the same thing. It hides itself. You don't know what to do. You have to go looking for it. You have to be like a surgeon, like we're going to do this morning. And this is the scalpel, you see? And the surgeon really is the Holy Spirit in your life. He's the only one with the power and the knowledge to be able to get that deep inside of you and say, there it is. See where it's been hiding? All that pain you've been complaining about and misappropriating, this is my cross that I bear, all that garbage you can get rid of now because now you know the root cause. All that from one little two-verse exchange? You bet. That's the glory of Genesis. It's incredible. It's unbelievable. Every answer we need, every point of suffering in our life can be traced back to the, the fall. You don't have to need a you don't need a PhD in theology. 
or a DD or whatever the heck they give out, which is most of the time ridiculous. You don't need any of that stuff. You just need, can you read Genesis? Can you read Genesis? Of course you can. So here we see the very nature of sin already present in the soul of our forefather, Adam. The sin had already taken hold of him and got him redirecting his attention away from the real issue and towards his own, his, let's call them his human sensibilities, that his human sensibilities had been offended. That had become the focal point. <laughs> not, not the sin, but that, you know, I'd realized I was naked and I was afraid, so I hid. Those are all like human reactions to something much bigger. And we, we ask God to treat us there when He wants to treat us here. So I'd like to give you another quote from this wonderfully edifying book, but before I do, uh, just a little side note that the Spirit put on my heart as I was preparing this. You've heard about this book that I've been reading a lot lately, and I don't want you to get it misplaced in your soul. I'm just sharing. I don't like to like blindly rob people and then come up here and say, look at my wonderful words. Do you know what I'm saying? I like to give credit where credit's due because that's the Spirit working through another vessel. And maybe someday He works through that vessel for you. So just a little side note, remember our instruction from the Spirit regarding extra-biblical texts. This would have been, oh, I don't know, a year, less than a year ago. If you're not already filled with a steady diet of plain and simple Bible reading, receiving all the messages, even when you're not here, reading all the blogs, etc. from this ministry, then do not, uh, please do not venture into a book like this one. This particular book is for folks that are currently thirsting for even more than they already receive, which from my perspective is a very small portion of you. A small portion of you. In other words, there's no shame if you cannot read this book. So don't feel like I'm saying everybody needs to read this book. I'm not. My heart says not many of you should because you might not be taking in what you should already from the pulpit, from the ministry. Those are your primary things, reading your Bible on a regular basis. So I don't want, I don't want you to think I'm suggesting that. Nonetheless, uh, given the message title or the series uh, title, the, Def the Deceitfulness of Sin that we're on, I'd like to give you this second quote up here on the board. The chief objective of the fallen sons of men is to quiet their guilty conscience and to stand well with their neighbors. Hence, so many of the unregenerate assume the garb of religion. Garb is, you know, the clothing, if you would. <clears throat> Again, the chief objective of the fallen sons of men, and this is the nature of sin, if you would, manifest. The chief objective of the fallen sons of men is to quiet their guilty consciences and to stand well with their neighbors. Hence, so many of the unregenerate Assume the garb of religion. You see how I look on the outside? Leave me alone. See? It's all good. Jesus said that's whitewashed tombs, but whatever. It's all good. I need to quiet my conscience. My conscience, some of you right now, I don't know. Maybe your conscience is burning and killing you right now because you're living in a sin. 
I don't know. But we like to quiet those things. And you say, well, I'm going to keep living my sin, but I'm going to go to church faithfully so that I can keep this little pocket of sin over here. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm going to dress the part so that my guilty conscience can be sort of quelled. I can, it can be quieted. And that's not the kind of treatment that the Spirit wants you to take in your own life. That's how sin hides out, you see? It gets hidden out. I'm feeling kind of guilty, so I'll go to church. Is that the right approach to something that exists in your life that needs to be dealt with? Of course not. That's called a a, a cover-up, right? I'll do something else to cover up this thing. That's what he's getting at here. And that is the deceitfulness of sin. Sin tells you, you know, well, this is bad, but if you do something good, the scales weight, the scales balance. That's not how it works. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's not some, it's not like I can keep all this sin over here, but if I do all this good, as long as I have equal scales and the scales just go toward heaven. That's religion. That's the garb of religion. As long as I'm doing more good than evil, God's good. No, he's not. He wants you to deal with this thing over here. He doesn't want you to cover it up. That's religion 101. That's creature credit 101. That's the chief objective of the fallen sons of men. That's the nature of sin. And that's why it's so deceitful, because we think we can do that thing. We can pull out our little balance, but a just scale and the balance, the weights and balance belong to who? The Lord. You don't even get to decide on those things. If it even existed, which it doesn't, because our merit comes from Christ. Why do I share these quotes with you? I just need you to concentrate here. I want you, I want you to see that what's going on. What, what's the impetus for these messages? I want you to make the inherent perpetual connection between sin and the depravity of man. And moreover, between the depravity of man and the deceitfulness of sin that exists in him. I want you to understand the, 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 the intrinsic connection here. It's inherent, it's perpetual. Your depravity, the reason for your pain and your suffering and blah, blah, blah. It's because there's sin in your life. That's what I'm trying to say. In other words, I want you to get, or I want to get you all to examine yourselves regularly, looking for areas where your enemies can exploit you. Remember, the sin nature wants to do what Adam did first. Look at the external results, the difficulties, you know, the strain of life itself. And and it just focuses there. And then incredibly, incredibly, it goes so far as to turn on God. That statement, you know, this is my cross to bear. If it's misappropriated, that's a turn on God. Because it's self-inflicted, do you see? It's self-inflicted. God's saying, I need you to go back to the root cause that's causing all this pain. But you're saying, no, I want to operate here. 
and I want to live a lie. And in so many words, I want to cast aspersions toward you. In other words, you're the one who put this on me. And so I need to be a hero for living through the pain which the sin actually causes in my life. The sin. But you see, sin kind of ducked out, right? Go to Proverbs 19.3. Hopefully this starts making more sense. So sin nature wants to do what Adam first did. You know, focus on the external stuff, the difficulties, the strain of life itself. And then, incredibly, it goes so far to turn on God. To actually turn on God. Proverbs 19.3, the foolishness of man ruins his way. And you know what? Here's what happens. He turns on God. Okay, look, ready? The foolishness of man ruins his way. Who ruins his way? Himself. Okay? The foolishness of man. In other words, if you're running around like a fool and you're sinning, and you're living a lifestyle of sin, your life gets ruined, right? It ruins your way. But look what the, the book of wisdom says. And his heart rages against the Lord. Wait a minute, what? So you're running yourself into a tree every day, And then you turn around to the Lord and say, what the heck? You're in pain. You get a splitting headache because you're running into a tree every day. Your choice. And then you turn to the Lord and say, what's up? Why why are you letting me have all this pain? Oh, it must be the cross that I have to bear. You see that dynamic? You see what just happened? You see the deceitfulness of sin? Do you see how one little lie, one little sidestep, for personal responsibility leads to something completely unholy and ungodly, which is to blame God because your way is ruined. God's not interested in ruining your way. I mean, He's saving you, right? He's not interested in ruining your way. He's trying to get you to the way, the truth and the life, which is Christ Jesus. He wants you to be occupied with Him all the time. So that you're not the fool who ruins His way. And then, unbelievably, incredibly, turn around and blame God. (laughs) This is the total depravity of man. This is the deceitfulness of sin. This is the level we're getting at in this series. That's why I'm so elated with it. Because He's like whipping the curtains back. Ripping them back. And saying, now, you know, you, you we're going to be laid bare right here. We're going to get to this sooner or later, my friends. That's it. I often wonder why our congregation isn't huge. I think it's because you poor people are the only ones that can handle it in this area. Honest to goodness, I swear by it. I, I think you guys are like, yeah, that's right. Man. Your heads up. Right? Oh, here we go. Everyone's like, right? Don't get cocky, right? Jeez. I really believe that, though. And that's not to elevate this church above the next church or anything like that. I'm just saying for whatever reason, I don't believe that the average Christian, if they're even saved, could handle these kinds of lessons. Nobody wants this. The human flesh hates this stuff. You're going to blame me? 
I came to church to be built up and edified and so my whitewashed tomb could be polished. You know what I'm saying? Don't ask me why I was doing that. Look at verse 3 again. The foolishness of man ruins his way. All right, who's responsible? The guy. Okay, then his heart rages against the Lord. What the? What? Yeah, that's how it goes. And some of you are like, oh my God, the nerve. That's you. Lord, why haven't you answered my prayer? My boss is such a jackass. Well, maybe you shouldn't be at that job. That's the first question. Maybe you took it for the money. Maybe you took it for the prestige. Maybe you took it for all the above. Who knows? I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. Maybe you shouldn't be there. That's his way of saying, I told you if you went there and did that thing, you were going to suffer. But my flesh want... Let's take that bad decision and go... Let's deal with the pain and suffering that I'm dealing with right now. Right? Let's deal with that, Lord, instead of the real reason why I'm here in this situation that stinks. I told you not to marry her. I told you not to marry him. Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about, like, right now. Lord, why would you do this to me? Why would you give me this wretch of a man to live with? I heard Tammy praying that the other day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was actually Kathy. And I just wanted to protect the innocent. But too bad. You laughed too hard, so you're out. <laughs> Up here on the board. On that verse, the foolishness of man ruins his way and the heart rages against, his heart rages against the Lord. This is one of the vilest forms in which human depravity manifests itself. That after deliberately, deliberately playing the fool and discovering that the way of transgressor, transgressors is hard, we murmur against God instead of meekly submitting to his rod. Yeah. This is one of the vilest forms in which human depravity manifests itself. After, that after deliberately playing the fool and discovering that the way of transgressors is hard, we murmur against God instead of meekly submitting to His rod. Hmm. So I was thinking about that. The sin nature is so very deceitful, it convinces us that the real issue isn't with the fruit of our unrighteousness. That's what it does. It says, first, we got to get out of this. You know, the noose is on us. <laughs> we chose this thing deliberately. It wasn't like anybody took your hand. You chose that path, right? And you look back on your life, and you might be miserable right now in some area of your life. You look back in your life, you go, yeah, I remember making that decision. I remember making that decision. I remember making that decision. I remember making all these little decisions that add up to one big lifestyle. And now I'm in misery, but I don't want to talk about all those little decisions. I don't want to... Re, you know, recover from all those things. I just want, you know, somehow to deal with this stuff. I don't want to even think about that stuff being maybe on the table for discussion. That's the deceitfulness of sin. So it tucks itself away. So the sin nature is very deceitful, and it convinces us that the real issue isn't with the fruit of our unrighteousness, rather it's somehow our Creator's fault. I thought you promised me, Lord. 
I've been going to church. I've been reading my Bible. I've been reading the blogs. I mean, you know, I've been doing everything quote unquote right. Does that not sound like, did we not do this? Did we not do that? Did we not do this? Is that not the same attitude of the ones who Jesus said, I never knew you even in the most extreme case? Sure it is. Sure it is. That's a person trying to do this number, the weights, right? Yeah, I know that's there, but didn't I do all this other good stuff? So can't we like kind of balance this thing out? Lord, ain't I a little good enough so you can give me some relief? That's how we reason with the Lord. That's the deceitfulness of sin. That that conversation should even be on the table. That's the deceitfulness of sin. So the sin nature is so deceitful, it convinces us that the real issue isn't with the fruit of our unrighteousness, rather that it's somehow our Creator's fault. I've actually heard people say this. Um, hey, you know what? God made me this way. So bugger, I don't know, unless you're in, from England, you're not going to say this, but whatever. So bugger off with your judgmental looks. God made me this way. So, you know, bugger off. That often comes from folks whose own consciences are burning, or maybe even beyond that, maybe seared with some particular form of sin. Ask the practicing adulterer why he continues in his sin. Or ask the practicing liar why he continues to lie. Or ask the practicing thief while he continues, or why he continues to steal. Ask anyone doing something habitually that is ungodly why they continue to do it. You're likely to get a range of, you know, human justification as a function of the deceitfulness of sin, of course. That's what human justification is. It's function of the deceitfulness of sin, as if you even have the right to <laughs> try to justify something ungodly to God. So you're likely to get a range of human justification, maybe even satanic type of arguments, where they use holy scripture to justify unholy practices. And I'm thinking about Matthew 4, where Satan used holy scripture to tempt Satan, out of context, uh, twisted it. For example, one of the greatest aspersions of all is akin to the point on the board. Again, the point on the board is one of the vilest forms in which human depravity manifests itself, that after deliberately playing the fool and discovering that the way of transgressors is hard, we murmur against God instead of meekly submitting to His rod. I've heard many people twist the following verse into, or in order to blame God for their sin. They say this verse, and it drives me berserk. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. In other words, hey, this is how God made me. And they use that out of context. Out of context to say, this is why I am living a sinful lifestyle. Because God made me this way. For this scripture to be twisted like that, it is implied that God is responsible for your sin. 
That's what you're suggesting. Let's not focus on the sin itself or the fact that I have a personal connection to it. Let's blame God. Isn't that what Adam did to Eve? Hey, why'd you eat from I told you not to? The woman you gave me. Right? That's exactly what he said. Like, didn't even hesitate. The woman. And then the woman. Why'd you do it? The serpent. (laughs) I am what I am. By your grace. Imagine if they said that. How gross is that? That's what we do when we take that tact. We say, "Uh, you know, I'm not really responsible for this. I mean, God made me this way. You know, it's that argument, well, God made me this way, so, you know, I can't help myself. Really. That is garbage from Satan himself. Go to James 1.13. James 1.13. That is nowhere supported in Holy Scripture. James 1.13. You're continuing in that sin because you want to. Because you're deliberately doing it. You want to use Holy Scripture to blame God. You know, I am what I am by the grace of God. You know, He knew I was going to be like this. No, you cannot do that. You cannot use Holy Scripture to blame God for your sin and your decisions. That's the deceitfulness of sin, you see. Put me over here and let's deal with this other stuff. I must blame God in the process. Because then we don't have to go back to personal responsibility like ever. James 1.13 Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. You know? He Himself does not tempt anyone. Another one that just came up from the Spirit just now is when people say, oh, what a blessing from God. This new thing in my life, whatever it is, is such a blessing from God. Why? Because your flesh likes it? That's why it's a blessing? And then that's why no one ever talks to me anymore. Hey, what do you think about this? I think it might be evil. What? Click. Don't call that guy anymore. Write that one down. Don't call that guy anymore because he's telling me I shouldn't be doing this. You know, he thinks this is a bad idea. Really, for real. Rarely do any of you ever call me anymore. Used to. Not anymore. I don't get it. I do, but you know what I'm saying. Because you really don't want the, you don't want an objective um, assessment. You want somebody to sympathize with your flesh. That's what you're looking for. You want somebody to sympathize with your flesh. Somebody to go, okay, I agree. Let's tuck the sinful decision-making over here. And let's just mope and lament over your pain and suffering and, and use Scripture out of context in the absence of the light on this problem itself. Let's play this game, not that one. Well, Pastor Ed, don't play this game. I always play this one. Right? I always go right back and say, well, where, what about how this happened? How were you in this situation? How might you rectify this situation in your life what decisions can you make now to look at it and keep looking at it and let the spirit work with you on that thing what can you do now 
Because this is meaningless. This is a function of something deeper. See, religion always focuses on this stuff. Truth focuses on this. That's the difference. That's why we had a message like Sunday. A person who takes the unholy tact of blaming God for his or her problems has a serious case of deceit in them. And since God is not the author of deceit, it must be sin that is responsible. Sin deceives us into lies as believing that God makes special provisions for us in our sins. That God makes special provisions for us. In other words, God has somehow short-term memory loss or long-term memory loss. Like, well, I've been living in this sin for, you know, for five years now. It's old, so God must be just be cool with it, so he's just going to forget about it. You know what I'm getting at? Like, that cancer is going to stop growing in me. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. He's always going to direct you back to that thing. And your conscience, when it sees it, is going to go, oh, right. It's still there. And God's like, I know, it's still there. You want to deal with it yet or what? Or you want to keep complaining to me? You want to work with this thing? Or you want to deal with this thing? God doesn't make special provisions. But the sin nature deceives us into thinking that. You know, out of sight, out of mind. That we think, even though Isaiah 55 eight says his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. He, we think that because human beings say, oh, it's five years old, so let's forget about it. You know, like we treat the Hollywood actors who are complete rejects of humanity, right? They run somebody over, they have a DUI, nothing against people that have made a mistake. You know, they, 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 they're doing all this kind of crazy stuff, and then two seconds later, they're on top of the world again. Do you know what I'm getting at? Like that kind of thing. Like we, we treat people, and I'm not saying we, you know, there's no condemnation in Christ. I hope you know what I'm saying. But we don't get to wrangle with God that way. God doesn't magically make special provision because some sinfulness in your life is old. Some of you may have to go all the way back years, I don't know, to deal with that thing. Doesn't mean you have to relive it or go through the pain of, you know, the sur- who knows, I don't know. But I hope we get what I'm saying here. Sin deceives us into such lies as believing that God makes special provisions for us in our sins, that because He created us, He knows our weaknesses and therefore has a you know soft spot for us. That's called partiality. And I'll just give you Holy Scripture on that one. Romans 2.11 literally says, for there is no partiality with God. So if you're expecting special provision and God to have long-term memory loss and this kind of a thing, you're wrong. God says... Whatever a man sows, he will reap. God says, I shall not be mocked. Unless it's over five years old. Statue of limitations, right? <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. There's no statutes of limitations with, with righteousness. It's either right or wrong. And if it's righteous, it bears good fruit. And if it's unrighteous, it bears bad fruit. As we've learned in the past, partiality leads to subjectivity Now here comes the whole complexity, the chain of complexity with sin itself. Sin loves it because now it's got control over you. Partiality leads to subjectivity. And once subjectivity is on the table, all hell breaks loose. Subjectivity is the base cause for emotionalism. 
And once emotionalism leads knowledge, man is free to speculate any way he so desires regarding the things of God. However, as we've learned recently up here on the board on the topic of integrity, objectivity exists in the absence of partiality. There cannot be, for you to be completely objective the way God is, there can't be partiality as well. It has to be impartial. So objectivity exists in the absence of partiality. We cannot make special rules for those we love, including and starting with ourselves. I mean, who do we love more than ourselves on a regular basis? You know what I'm saying? That's part of our problem. We love ourselves. We cannot make special rules for those we love, including and starting with ourselves. Jesus despises this. It's called hypocrisy. That's what, that's what, hypocrisy is a function of partiality, basically. Because if you do one, if you have the same standard and you do one thing here and then one thing there, and it calls for the same thing, and you did it because, you know, oh, I love this person, I can't stand that one. Or I love myself, so I'm not going to be under the pressure of righteous judging. All that stuff is hypocrisy, and that's what we've been learning from the pulpit. And it's part of the deceitfulness of sin. Up here on the board in the expanded Luke eleven forty six, Jesus answered, How terrible for, woe to you, experts on the law. You make strict rules that are very hard for people to obey, burden people with burdens hard to carry, but you yourselves don't even try to follow those rules or lift a finger to ease the burden. Jesus despised and despises hypocrisy. Now, there's a big white elephant in the room right now, right about now. Let's call it the big question on the table up here on the board. How do even well-intentioned believers get caught up in subjectivity partiality, and the deceitfulness of sin. How does that happen? Because, let's face it, when you come to class, right, and you're filled with the Spirit and everybody's like-minded, things just seem so clear, don't they? Right? Nobody? Right? I mean, they do. You get in, you're like, oh, man, it makes so much sense. I'm convicted. I get it, Lord. I'm going to try. And then as literally you walk off the step, before it even hits the damp ground, you're like, you know, deviant. You stop veering off right away, right? Maybe you see something hanging from your rearview mirror, rear mirror from your car. I don't know. Maybe it's a wristband from a rave. That's what my mother has in her Corolla. It's like weird. I'm like, where do you go at night? She comes back with all these like tassels and like roach clips. I'm like, really? I'm kidding, guys. Loosen up. Everybody's so tight. That's why I look at my mother. I'm like, I don't, that doesn't really happen. Peeny's fault's a dog. He drags it home. No, for real though, how does that stuff happen? How do you end up with a message like this, in all fairness, looking back in your life and going, duh, I've been deceived for years. How does that happen? I mean, it's not like you're quote unquote bad people, right? It's not like you're trying to be deceived in some ways, but yet, lo and behold, you find out, I've been deceived. How does that happen? Well, he gave us one hint. Proverbs 4, 13 to 15, the uh, ESV, the English Standard Version. 
Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. That's how it happens. If you don't do that, if you don't take this good counsel, if you think you can walk on that path for even a moment, you are subjecting yourselves to the influence, the magnetism of sin itself. And the whole time, don't you understand? The whole time, it's intoxicating. You step on that path, and it's not just one thing where you're like, you know, you're like, um, you know, I got this thing right here, and it's over here. No, it's like, you know, like when, um, I don't know, picture, imagine your favorite uh, cologne or perfume or something. When, 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 that, when you're in the space of that, or maybe someone else is wearing it, when they come in, maybe that person's evil, right? But the, the, their scent is all around. You can turn around away from that person. You still smell them, right? And so that it's intoxicating. That's what happens when you put one foot on there. Sin goes, wraps right around you and is doing everything it can to get you to stay on that path. Even your human senses might be affected. I think that's why the Bible often uses the adulteress because she might be intoxicating. You know what I'm getting at? And, 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 And meant to keep you on that path. To keep your attention. You ever notice that? You ever notice how many... How many hours you spent uh, in bed dwelling on unholy things? You know what I'm getting at? I was like, oh, not me. Pastor, I read my Bible. I'm reading the blogs. I read them like six times in a row. So I don't know about all these other heathens in here, but me? I'm unbelievable. I never do that. I never close my eyes without praying to the Lord Jesus. You're in bed like, oh, that was so much fun. I can't wait till next time. Right? Avoid it. Don't even toy with it. Like, that's what I, that's, it's here, right? Don't even toy with the idea. That's how it happens. That's how you end up being deceived by sin. That's how you end up in a class like this, looking back in your own life and going, oh, man, how did that happen? But everybody involved was so nice. No kidding. That's part of the intoxicating nature of sin. You're not the only one with it, first of all. Misery loves company, second of all. And Satan's propagating the whole lie, third of all, right? The whole thing, everything's directed to keep you on that path. The Bible says, avoid it, do not get on it, turn away from it and pass on. The best thing you can possibly do is discern it. That right there is trouble. That right there is bad news. I cannot even be around it. I'm going to turn away from it. Some of you are like, yep, I got a history with it. You know what I'm getting at? If you, if you have like a problem with something, like a substance even. I can't even, I'm not even supposed to, I shouldn't even be, this, I shouldn't even be within a stone's throw of that stuff. Whatever it might be. Or anybody that is, you know, Dealing with it or whatever is weakened by it. You choose your poison. You choose your poison, honestly. So for some of you, it's television or the internet, believe it or not. I shouldn't even turn on my computer. If you know every time you turn on your computer, you're on there for at least three or four hours, you probably should get rid of it or just never turn it on. 
Turn it into a bookcase, a bookmark. Oh, what do you call those things? What do you call the things that hold books there? Bookshelf. What? Bookend. Bookend. Thank you. Don said bookshelf. <laughs> he obviously doesn't read. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? If something's that evil in your life and you have a awfulness for it, then cut it out, like Jesus said. Anyways, that's the point. How does this happen? Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Oftentimes, though, that path is, you know, quote, easier. When we're worn down, we are susceptible. And if we let our guards down for even a moment, sin has its opening. Remember, sin does not sleep. It doesn't get tired like you do. It actually capitalizes on fatigue. That's why you should get good sleep, honestly, some of you. You should get well-rested. You should, I mean, I hate to be, you should exercise. You should do something. If you have a desk job, then you should get out and exercise. You should do something good for your body, for your mind, for your soul. Go out, get some fresh air, read your Bible, do both at the same time. I know some people that go to the gym and they have their earphones in, they're listening to the Bible or, you know, a message or something like that. Do stuff like that. Make good habits. Be, quote, fit. Because when you're tired and you're worn down, that's when sin has an easier time. This is all part of it, right? How do we get deceived? The question on the table. How do well-intentioned believers get caught up in subjectivity, partiality, and deceitfulness of sin? Because it's sometimes easier to get on that path because we're worn or what have you. The Spirit has had us pondering the manner in which sin infiltrates our souls and then spawns its evil seed. One such way was described analogously as the, a gateway sin. Gateway sin being analogous to a gateway drug, something that's not really sort of innocuous, you know what I mean? Not doesn't really have much to it, but sort of introduces you. It introduces you to something. These are the sins that we deem, quote, less important or less damaging than the supposed, quote, big sins, They comprise all the little sins and tend to remain under the radar, going undetected. Gateway sins are the insidious ones. The truth is, as we've learned up here on the board, any breach of the law of God is a big deal. Any breach of the law of God is a big deal. Here's the perspective we ended with on Thursday up here on the board, understanding sin we are incapable of measuring the distance between even the smallest sin imaginable and the holy God of the universe. The chasm between the two is infinite, therefore every sin is a big deal. Because in, infinity is a big deal. Right? So anything away from the holy God is a big deal because you're infinitely away from Him. So there you go. This is why it is important for us to cling to our basic definition of sins lest we be seduced seduced into allowing sin itself to lie to us about the offensiveness of every sin. Because that's part of the deceitfulness of sin. It lies to us. It says, yeah, use that human weight and scale problem. Uh, you know, be religious. Say, well, at least I didn't kill somebody, so, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, start doing that, playing that game. Because what do we do? Let's face it. What do we do? 
Every time we're given the free will to do something, we always leave a small percentage for ourselves. I've said this from the pulpit for, I've been doing this for a decade now. If I'm open seven days a week, most of you will say, I'm going to go six. Not most of you. Some of you will say, I'm going to go six. If I'm open four times, I'm going to go three. Right? If Uncle Sam says, I want $100,000 in taxes, I'm going to give him 95. Right? If, if we, we're awful. We're awful. Any way we can cheat God. Really, what the Spirit's saying is you're cheating yourself, first of all. You know what I'm getting at? Boss isn't looking. Let's get out of here. It's 10 minutes. I know it's not 4 o'clock yet, but it's 3.50. Nobody's here. Let's get out of here. Well, you really just stole from your boss, right? You really did. If you're an hourly employee, you just stole from your boss. People do it all the time. Why? Is that the righteous thing to do? No, it's not. But that's, a, that's like a little gateway sin, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? Someone in school. Man, it's, you know, I'm such a good student, but I get distracted. Like, oh, my God. It's only one answer. I just need to get the C or else my average drops down to something. I'm just going to cheat this one time. Fast forward to the end of the semester. You're like, dude, can I have your paper? You don't get that? I was going to cheat the whole time. That's called a gateway scene. You see, it's like, ah, whatever. You know, and everybody's like, ah, you know, attaboy. Buy me a beer. Yeah. Next thing you know, you're out in the real world, and you're saying, why did my patient die? Say you're a nursing student. Sorry, Joey, but that's the only one that came up. Say you're a nursing student. Why did my patient just die? Because you cheated on that test, and you don't know better. You're supposed to give him this and you gave him that because why? Because you cheated on the test. And now you have a bigger problem. You know what I'm saying. God's not mocked. If we just learn to do stuff the right way. You know, you, all right, here's, a, here's it ready. No, no, extra, no extra charge for this one. Christians are supposed to suffer. Surprise. We're supposed to suffer. We're going to suffer. If you're following the law of God, you will suffer. So you have to ask yourself, if I really ever, if I never suffer, is it possible I'm deceived by sin? If my life is just peachy and grand, is it possible I'm just deceived? Well, God says, you know, you shall prosper. You, God says, you know, he's going to prosper. God said, yeah, yeah, I know. I know what he says. But it also says that if Jesus suffered, you're going to suffer. It also says if they persecuted him, they're going to persecute you. So if you stand up for Christ, especially in this world, if you're doing things the way you're supposed to be doing, you're not going to be a celebrity. You're not going to be the big next big YouTuber. You know what I'm saying? He's probably likely and probably not going to make millions unless he's got a special thing for you. You're not going. In other words, you're not going to be. You're not going to be ratcheted into the ways of the world, contrary to what a lot of giant churches and mega churches will tell you. It's all about the prosperity. It's all about making it because you know Jesus loves you. Yeah, that's true. 
Didn't he, didn't he do enough on the cross? Should you ever even think about asking for any more? Shouldn't that be your attitude? That's called grace, by the way. That's true grace orientation. Not that garbage that's taught nowadays where, where it's all, what they call it, the grace gospel or something like that. Everything's like completely free and there's no, nothing. There's no human responsibility, nothing. It's just God loves us so much, he's going to spoil us and entitle us like America does. And when we don't get what we want, we're not going to deal with all the sin in our lives. We're going to say, Gee, why didn't you, why, I thought you loved me. We're going to turn on God, like I said in the beginning. Like we saw that passage in the beginning. We rage against the Lord. But we're the fools, practicing religion, washing the whitewashed tomb, celebrating with the world like so many so-called Christians did this past Christmas, propagating a lie about it. We're fools. And then we don't get what we want. We rage against the Lord. That's sin. That's the deceitfulness of sin. We get seduced by it. And we, we get to thinking that, you know, you know, some sins aren't offensive to the holy God of the universe, that they're small and, you know, ineffective in our lives. That's how sin works. It's exactly what it wants. I want you to think I'm not effective in your life because then you'll continue to digest me every day and live with me and give me a place in your, you know, the little 10% area that you keep for yourself over here on the side. You'll give me a place for me. So says sin. And the Spirit's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. Here's our working definition, a very simple one. The simple definition for sin. Sin is any lack of conformity to God's will, whether expressed actively or passively. Any lack of conformity to God's will, whether expressed actively or passively. The Bible talks an awful lot about doing the right thing. And if you suffer for doing that thing, it brings glory to God. How many Christians do that? How often do you do that? Difficult decision. You know the right one for God? You know the one that's easier, quote-unquote. You have an opportunity to go through the, the suffering and bring glory to God, or you have an opportunity to, get, to take the easy route where the world leaves you alone and maybe even promotes you. Which one do you take? Some of you are midstream years into that decision process right now. Some of you made decisions on the easy side, on the easy side, on the easy side. And the, and the Spirit's saying, I've got to take you all the way back to the fork in the road. All the way back here. You may lose possessions, relationships. You may lose an awful lot. Dignity, quote-unquote, by world standards. Reputation, you may lose an awful lot when I take you all the way back to that fork in the road. So that I can take you on the righteous path. But it's not like I didn't warn you. I told you if you went down that road, I won't be mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. I told you, right? And you have nobody to blame. Then why are you raging against me? I got to take you all that. Some of you are midstream and all that. You're like, oh man, what does this mean? You know what it means. Don't, don't, and don't blame Pastor Ed. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm teaching the Word of God here. God the Holy Spirit is speaking to your soul. You want to ignore Him? Keep going down the path. See what happens. But that's why you don't call me anymore because I'm going to tell you what I'm telling you right now. See? You know what I mean? You're like, hey, what happened? This, well, let's talk about this. This is where you went wrong. Uh, are you still there? 
get a, get a text like an hour later. Oh, man, I was going through like a tunnel. Sorry, I broke up. I'm good now. I'm good. Sorry to bother you. Sin is any lack of conformity to God's will, whether expressed actively or passively. In theology, we often point to the effects of sin, namely the depravity of man, describes the pervasive corruption and pollution of sin passed down from Adam. Its effects are devastating to man. We looked at all this. I'm going quickly. Depravity born of sin affects every aspect of man, renders every man unable to please God, is universal, affecting every man ever born. Except Jesus, of course. Previously, we are compared. Uh, we compared sin to a disease. Even up here on the board, sin dece- deceives us into thinking that we have a simple cough when we have lung cancer. That sin itself is merely a once-in-a-while result when it is ever present. If we buy this lie, we surrender to sin's mastership. That's what Tashuka is. It wants to master you. It wants to be lord over you. How's something going to be lord over you if they're only, quote, over you 10% of the time? You know what I'm saying? Either, either the president's our president or he's not. I always get a kick out of that. You want to live in this country, you want to be in a democracy, guess what? We elected that guy. Like it or lump it, you're always under his leadership. You know what I'm saying? People flipped out when Trump got elected. It was craziness. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not paying attention to him. I'm not a citizen. Oh, yeah, you are. You are and you will be. Or move out. you can move out. Do you know what I'm saying? That's not authority orientation. That's picking and choosing when you want to obey authority. That is the last thing from authority orientation. That's evil disguising as authority orientation. Some of you wives do that. Oh, I'm authority oriented. Are you really? Are you really? Do you submit to him or you only submit to him when you agree with him? Do you, do you manipulate him on the side? Do you know what I'm saying? Do you try to manipulate him with your little wiles? Because women, are, I'm not talking that Tammy does all this stuff. You guys are all like, well, he only has, you know. I'm talking about all the things I know about married people who've shared and, all, and what the Bible says. Do you do that? Because that's true authority orientation. Otherwise, just like Tashuka was used for you women actively, that's what you want to put him on his back, just like sin puts us on our back. You want to dominate him, you want to lord over him, but God says, no, you have to be lord men. If we only think of sin in a limited way, we actually miss the mark, and by definition, we are sinning. In other words, if you think that sin is only, you know, things you can point to, like personal sin, things you can point to, well, I did screw up here, so I guess that's a sin. Oh, yeah, and I I guess I did screw up here, and that's a sin. If we do that, and you know better, you know the nature of sin, you've been taught, you see it in the Bible, that's a sin itself, because you're actively suppressing truth. You're actively suppressing the truth, and that itself, in itself, is a sin. If you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, it's a what? Sin. That's James 4.17. But I like my list better. Yeah, 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 join the club. But it's the sand and the marbles in the jar thing, remember that? Sin is everything, and everything in between. 
You don't just get to point out the marbles. Oh, these are the big sins, and I'm just going to... What about all the little specks of sand that fill everything in between? Those are all sins, too. And if that whole jar is infinitely away from the Holy God, it doesn't matter how big that sin is, you're infinitely away from the Holy God. And He wants you to deal with it appropriately in your soul. So if we only think of sin in a limited way, we actually miss the mark, and by definition, we are sinning. So I think we're almost out of time, but let's... um, Yeah, let's continue in our series by reading just a few more uh, passages here. In particular, let's, let's see how the influence of sin is compared to the primitive description of the father of lies, Satan. Go to Acts 5.1. Acts 5 verse 1. Let's see how the influence of sin is compared to the primitive description of the father of lies, who is Satan himself. Acts 5.1. They're almost used, you know, like interchangeably in the sense. Acts 5.1 But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled, remember filled is Uh, to be influenced. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie and to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You know, it was very, quote, natural for Ananias to lie because that is what sin does. It lies. It's a natural deceiver. These people who walk around and say that, I, always, oh, I don't get, a, I get angry, actually. People say, I believe that men is naturally good. No, he's not. He's naturally good at deceiving. He's a naturally good deceiver. If it's perceived as good for him in the grand schemes of things, then yes, he will be, quote, good by world standards. And there's a lot of people like that out there. They do a lot of, quote, good things, relative good things. But their heart isn't with God. So it's all part of the great deception. That they're doing good. Those are, you know, if, and if they're a pretend Christian, they're the ones who have the scale in their soul. Like, well, I walked a lady across the street. I bought someone groceries on, you know, out of the out of the blue. Uh, you know, I called my mother and said I love her. You know, and and that offsets all this other stuff that I'm doing in sin. Right? That's that's living in deception. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't want us to work that way. So it's very natural. Now, Ann and I, I'm not going to judge him because I don't know, but it's possible if it was one of us, we'd be like, yeah, but I gave 90% of the proceeds. I know I was supposed to do 100, but you know I like to keep a little bit up. I gave 90%. I'm not that bad. Yes, you are. The objective, which was, not, which was with God, was 100%. Even one half of one, one hundredth of a percent would have put you infinitely away from him. 
And that's how we, that's how m most people, even Christians, live their lives. They say, but I'm giving 90% to God. And God's like, that's not good enough for me. I'm a jealous God. I want all of you. So it was very natural because Ananias being filled the way he was, was a natural deceiver. And so it bears fruit after its kind. That's what sin does. It makes sense. He gave some of it. It's not, you know, if you're a religious person or whatever, in his defense, you'd be like, but he gave 90%. So? So? What does that mean? What does that mean at all? As this passage depicts, it gets awful for us when we believe it's lies. That's the part Satan doesn't tell you. That's when you, when you read Genesis 1 through 3, right? That's the part that Satan doesn't tell you. He lies, just like Satan filled Ananias' eyes. He lied and said, you're going to be A-OK -okay if you just give the 90%. Keep a little for yourself. All right, how accurate was that? Look at verse 5. Uh-oh. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came of all who heard of it. Okay, I didn't, I'm thinking Satan, Satan's little tactic. Satan's the one who filled his heart, right? Satan's the one who said, hold back a little. Lie to the Holy Spirit. You'll be fine. He's dead. Gone. That's why it's recorded, of course. Some of you are like, oh man, if I don't pay my taxes, he's going to kill me? He could. I don't think he's going to. But who am I? He could do it. What am I to say? I don't know. Maybe he's, maybe he's, you know, it's like the prison sentence. You know, sometimes it's better rather than to execute somebody, let's say. Maybe it's better to leave them in the prison with a conscience. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're in bondage right now. Maybe you're in your own prison right now because of years of, you know, keeping a little for yourself. And I'm not just talking about taxes or whatever. I'm talking about everything in your life the decisions you make about your relationships you married people same thing you children you, you you parents you same thing i'm not going to live for a child i'm going to live 90 percent for that child no when you have a child you guess what they're under your charge your life basically is now dedicated to those kids to raising them up you do everything you can to raise them up not by the world in the faith your most important thing is not to buy them nice clothes and to primp them up and put bows, you know, and, and, and sneakers. They could give a crap if they're wearing $60 Nikes. They're one. Do you get, get it? That's not what having a child is. Having a child is raising a, a, a person in the faith. It's the most important charge you will ever be given as a parent. Raise them up in the faith. If you do that in a, a hovel, so be it. If it means you have to not work that job to raise your kid in the faith, and you live in a hovel, that is better than living on a mansion on a hill and your kid's a wild person with no faith. Yeah. That's the, I don't, maybe you don't see that, but that's what I see when I read that passage. That's exactly what I see. A guy and his wife decided to keep a little for themselves. I mean, in this case, he got killed, and obviously this is echoing down human history, because it's in the Bible. 
But who's to say that there's not going to be something in your life that if you keep, Satan fills your heart and says, I want to keep a little bit for me. You know what? If you don't have that, then don't be a parent. Then don't get married. Don't do anything where there's a vow involved to God. Don't do it. You're better off not doing it at all then. If you're that self-absorbed where you want to keep a little for yourself. Do you get what I'm getting at? Nobody's perfect, so don't get me wrong. But it's that attitude. It's that attitude. Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit had convicted him, didn't he? Some of you were like, well, I made those mistakes and I wasn't convicted at the time. Okay, that's a different story. But what happens when you make these decisions and God the Holy Spirit is convicting you and you still make those decisions? That's what the Spirit's saying. And that's the deceitfulness of Satan. That's the deceitfulness of sin itself. It says it's not a big deal. It's all right. All right, I won't keep 10% for myself. I'll keep five. Right? It's like the guy in the end, remember? Burt Reynolds. I swear, God, I'll give 60%. And he gets close to the shore. Ten, I know I said 60, but I really meant 25. I got to take care of my mother. Then he's on the beach and he's like, if you don't want it, then don't take it. <laughs> it's like the best scene of all seasons. It's hilarious. So funny. That's what we do. We believe the lies that are presented to us from our own sin nature. We believe the lies that are presented to us from our own sin nature. We keep little portions for ourselves. We let, we let the sin nature take it out of focus because it's too painful to look at. It's too contrary to our lives. But then I couldn't buy my new motorcycle. I couldn't buy my new hairdryer. I couldn't buy my new wig. I couldn't buy my new boots, my new horsey, my horse farm, whatever the heck it is that people want to spend their time and energy on. I couldn't do all that if I actually gave 100%. Yeah. He knows. That's the point. That is exactly the point. Put the Lord first. Sin says, nope, I am going to get him on his back in your life. That's the struggle. Sin wants to put the truth on its back, wants to put you back in a vulnerable state so it can dominate you. Jesus Christ says, I'm master. You're my slave. I I purchased you with my own blood. I want your eyes on me. I want all of you All of you. I don't want 90%. I want all of you. Sin is sick and disgusting and a natural robber of everything good, starting with the glory of God. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this wonderful privilege to study your word, to receive knowledge and truth that sets us free, Father. Thank you for always making things clear. And thank you for encouraging us and for your patience as we stumble about, Father. But by your grace and mercy and love, we recover. We're so very grateful for these things. We just ask for your blessings on the things we've learned as we take them out to a world that's just decaying, Father. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.